listening to a pleasure podcast for more from our sex podcast collective visit pleasurepodcasts.com thanks for tuning in sluts and scholars is a sex positive shame-free educational podcast where we try to help you talk smart and fuck smarter while we love to give advice and resources please note that this podcast or any emails from us are not intended to be therapy or a replacement for therapy Welcome back to another week of Sluts and Scholars, where we talk smart and fuck smarter. I'm Nicoletta, and I'm a marriage and family therapist and sexologist. And I'm Simone, Nicoletta's friend who sometimes just likes to jump in talking about sex and lots of other things. Um, This week, we are joined by Mistress Snow. We are so excited. Mistress Snow, PhD. Does that make you Dr. <laughs> Mistress Snow or Mrs. Mistress Dr. Snow? You know, I don't know. I'm like, I'm a Dr. Snow, Dr. Mist- Mistress Dr. Snow's Love fine. <laughs> anyway, so to let our listeners know a little bit more about who you are, um, she's an academic and dominatrix. She's currently an adjunct professor, and she's been in and out of sex work for the past 15 years. She writes about academia, power, and sex work, and she recently received her PhD in the humanities. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, she's also kind of burst onto the <laughs> sexology, sluts and scholars, talking uh, socio-politico-economic ramifications of academia and sex work um, <laughs> by writing an incredible article that appeared in the Chronicle um, in December uh, called I Told My Mentor I Was a Dominatrix and she rescinded her letters of recommendation. We'll get more into detail about the specific article and and I guess the consequences thereof. But first, hi. Hi. (laughs) Thanks so much for joining us. I'm super curious which came first or if they came at the same time, uh, sex work or academia. Well, I started doing sex work when I was in high school. Um, Just like, I didn't grow up like destitute, but, you know, we didn't really have abundance (laughs) and um i you know one thing came to another and i ended up doing sex work um i didn't real so i guess you know sex work came before the academia considering i was still in high school (laughs) Um, i mean i guess you were in school but not like doctor level right yeah and i actually didn't really do any of it during college i i worked you know retail i tutored other odd jobs um and then once I started grad school, I started doing sex work again, just, you know, to make ends meet. Um, it kind of snowballed um, <laughs> um, right when I graduated college because um, I found, like, I was super broke. I just started going on dates, like, two dates a day just to get, like, a free meal. Oh, yeah. Um, and get yeah, and, and like everyone said that, right? I think maybe, um, maybe not. <laughs> Unconvinced dating apps are uh, designed for starving artists and I guess grad students and recent divorcees. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, one thing led to another, and I was doing indie doming um, and some sugaring. I stopped maybe two or three years into grad school. Um, and started again recently this past summer after I ended up in a, in a kind of financial (laughs) crisis. I just want to pause you for one second. What's indie doming? 
Oh, um, so I work, I'm a house dom now. I work in a dungeon. So I work uh, like specific shifts every week. Oh, like independent doming. Right. Yeah. So yeah, but, which um, is a lot more lucrative uh, or well, can be a lot more lucrative, but is a lot more dangerous. Um, so I uh, started out doing that again this summer and then got into a dungeon as quickly as I could. Mm. Awesome. Thank you. Sure. Um, I'm also curious if you're comfortable sharing what sex work is done in high school. That was like escorting light. Um, I don't want to give it away any details because understandable. Um, yeah, no, I would definitely end up like outing myself. Um, but yeah, you know, like very um uh unskilled. I was kind of, you know, like blindly just trying to scrape cash together. So mm. sort of escorting. So you just mentioned concern about outing yourself. So this makes, I'm really curious about, so we talk about this like really sharp dichotomy between sluts and scholars. It's like the entire premise of, of the podcast. Um, and so I guess before you came out to your mentor, nobody really knew that you were both a sex worker and an academic. And so I think both Nicoletta and I are curious about how you kept those two personas separate professionally, socially, financially, and all of that. As a teacher, um, one of my like pedagogical techniques is disclosure. I'll disclose certain, like self-disclosure. I'll, uh, especially because of the subject I teach, which is in the humanities, um, I feel like it's important for me to create a classroom environment wherein students are comfortable sharing um, like relevant parts of their own lives and responding to whatever the topic happens to be without um, like having to censor themselves necessarily or feeling shame about anything, whatever. So um, I'm already very, 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 <laughs> very deliberate about what I do and do not disclose as a teacher, um, even unrelated to sex work. So like, um, I would never talk about having a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a husband or a wife or anything. I won't disclose my sexuality. I um, like, I'm very specific, like I won't disclose religion. Um, you know, things like that. So I already find it quite easy to keep. What, what, what do you disclose? Sorry. Oh, like. If those um, things are off the table. So if, if I'm teaching a text about um, classism, for instance, I might make a comment alluding to growing up working class so that my students in turn will then feel safer um, and less awkward if they have their own personal connection to the text at hand. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I find it really easy to separate um, the two. Like I might say, um, you know, in my other job, I have a part-time job, but I would never say what that job was for obvious reasons <laughs> um, while teaching. Um but then, you know, like as a, a scholar amongst my colleagues, um, I'd say that I have learned since this entire experience not to disclose that to anyone beforehand. I might have been more open about it, um, maybe like tested the waters a little and then kind of thrown that out there. Um, if I met someone at, you know, like a conference or something, we were getting drinks. But um, since this situation with my mentor, I... Um, I'm now quite adept at keeping the two in, like, different regions of my brain. 
I, I resonate a lot with that because as a therapist, but also doing this podcast, um, you know, I really have to assume that like clients might be listening to the podcast or even just in private practice. Like, what do I say? And I wonder, like, how do you come to terms in your mind with like what feels comfortable enough or safe enough to share? It sounds, well, I mean, for me, it's ongoing. It's like an ongoing struggle. And I wonder how you do it. Well, so one thing that um, really uh, showed me how important that type of disclosure is, is my own therapist uh, disclosed to me that she was a former dom. Um, maybe uh, I, I probably been seeing her and talking about sex work pretty consistently for maybe six or so months before she did that. Um, mm. And the immediate effect of like the comfort level I had talking to her about, you know, specific sessions or, you know, issues that really only sex workers could understand that I didn't really want to get into otherwise was like just immediate. It um, made like a world of difference. So I wouldn't make that particular disclosure as a teacher. <laughs> I think it, I love that. And I love that it was a good disclosure that was like helpful to the rapport between you two. And it's, I don't know, sometimes I do find it so backwards that like therapy has been this thing that we're, that was like initially like we're supposed to be this blank slate, like a Freudian thing where you like don't say anything about oh yourself. Oh my God, I hate Freud so much. I hate Freud. I hate Freud. I hate <laughs> yeah, there's Freud. a lot, there's a Freud. lot of issues with Freud. Uh. And we should definitely talk about like why you hate him so much. <laughs> but I think the, I don't know. I think the human connection and like knowing that there's other people who get it, even if it's, you know, obviously you have a different life, but just that shared human experience to me is so healing. And so part right. of me does think it's so backwards to like withhold everything from therapy. I mean, granted, it's not a platform for me to just like talk about myself and work out my own issues <laughs> with my clients. Oh, yeah. But most of the time when I have self-disclosed, it's usually been helpful for the rapport. Right. And there are certain experiences that you can only truly understand after you've gone through them. Um, so knowing that your therapist with whom you're trying to process like a traumatic experience has could share that experience. Uh, yeah. Really and you're sitting there being like, do they think I'm crazy? Do they get it? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, do I need to explain this or do they already know? No, I guess just into like therapists and making sure they're safe. I feel like we do get a lot of emails, especially because Nicoletta is a therapist, asking about how to find safe therapists for that are that are sex work positive or kink positive or queer friendly or all of that. And I know for me, when I'm looking for a therapist, like I have asked like, hey, are you like, are you queer friendly or whatever? Mm -hmm. And they'll answer but that can also be really scary to ask. And so I just want to like remind people that there are databases out there who are that, that represent these, these therapists and you can find them. Right. What are they called, Nicoletta? Or either, uh, you know, Mr. Snow? I, it depends. I Feel free one. to email us that for sex workers, uh, pineapple support, but that's mostly for performers. Um, ASECT does have sex therapists, but not all sex therapists are as positive. Um, but in different cities, there might be like a, like in, in the Bay Area, there's like a Bay Area positive uh, one. So feel free to email us, slutsandscholars at gmail.com um, if you have a question. And I know there's a national kink-friendly database. I can't remember what it's called right now, but I can let you guys know. We will include it in the show notes. I'm also not remembering what it's called. <laughs> um, a thing that Nicoletta brought up in our like pre-conversation about, about chatting with you is like financial separation between your sex work and your mm. academia um both because of just how certain like 
payment processors and banks kind of refuse to deal with sex workers um, and just like how, yeah, how you keep those separate and like disclosing income for uh, like need-based aid and all of that. Right. Um, so I, um, I'm not a student anymore. So like disclosing for financial aid, well, and my PhD program was fully funded. So that wasn't really negotiable. <clears throat> nice. Quote, um, unquote, fully well, funded. Yeah, yeah. Barely uh, covered, not right. even the living wage in your area. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it, it was not good. Um, but as far as, um, I mean, really my, my biggest concern with keeping the finances separate is that I don't want to inadvertently out myself. So if a client wants to send money through PayPal, I have to be like, too bad. <laughs> Get something else. Um, like Cash App is great because it doesn't, you know, insist that you use your legal name. Um, Gift Rocket is great because you can just sign up via email. Um, and then as far as like in-person session go, uh, sessions go, it's it's cash only, really. I get paid in cash. Um, so I uh I keep it pretty pretty separate. I, I'm hyper aware of <laughs> um how banks uh will take my money at every possible opportunity. Um so it's either it's either cash or, you know, a process that I've otherwise vetted. Yeah, how has that changed for you in the post FOSTA SESTA era in terms of how you manage your uh, your dom work? Well, it's so pre, uh, FOSTA SESTA, I felt a little bit more, I felt like there was more of, um, kind of a rapport between myself and a client, um, and more of an understanding that like, if they outed me, I'd out them. So neither of us are going to out the other and <laughs> we'll just, mm. you know, um, yeah, agree to just forget each other's real names, whatever. But since FOSTA SESTA, I've it's it's been at least for me like night and day the difference in attitude from clients, um, and I'm not sure how much of that is generational and how much is directly related to FOSTA SESTA. Um, but even like, well, actually, I, I feel like Backpage being taken down had a like an immediate effect that mm -hmm. we all probably saw um but clients you know clients are more demanding clients come into the dungeon trying to uh get full service i never encountered that before um and i'm i may just huh. be lucky yeah yeah I, right <laughs> like, i um i and for people who don't know full service means like, like more sexual intimacy penetration of orifices <laughs> Right. <laughs> Genital contact, which is not permitted in dungeons and things like that. Right, right. And I mean, some some of the girls do it. I would certainly make more money if I did, but I don't. Um, but it indicates to me um, a hostility that didn't seem to really exist before. Um, mm. So I'm now, I mean, I've always been pretty aware of you know what I do and do not put on the internet, but I'm a lot more, uh, I guess, aware of it now. And keep my real name nowhere near <laughs> my uh, mistress' name. And just to uh, for folks who are listening, um, if you're joining us for the first time, um, we have talked about FOSTA SESTA on quite a few episodes. But if this is your first time listening, we're glad you're here. Um, but just to explain a little more about FOSTA SESTA, um, Mistress Snow, could you tell us uh, what you know about FOSTA SESTA? Yeah, so um, this was legislation that went through in, I'm going to say, April 2018. 
Um, and it had a lot of support from like white feminist celebrities like Lena Dunham and I think Meryl Streep, which makes me really sad. <laughs> yeah. um, oh, Meryl. And the point, right? But the point of the legislation is to uh, s- purportedly protect trafficking victims and end online trafficking. Which we all want. Um, right, yeah. Yeah, sex trafficking, extremely bad, <laughs> not good. Also um, extremely different from sex work. <laughs> I think it may have been the actual point of the legislation yeah. was to um, make it riskier to do sex work and easier to arrest sex workers and their associates um, and kind of increase surveillance. Um, well, maybe, I'm not quite sure how to... How to put that, but it it basically it forced a lot of sex workers off the internet and back onto the street, which is obviously a more violent, dangerous, exposing space. Right, exactly. Thank you. Um, and it shut down a lot of networks that sex workers might use to uh, warn each other about different clients, or might use to vet different clients, um, especially if you, you're working independently. Um, but it also has. All kinds of consequences if you're working in a house like I am. Yeah, and as a result, it's just it can make um, money management uh, impossible or more difficult. It can be a safety issue, uh, not just a safety issue. It can be a life and death thing for some people. And then it has stopped, you know, other companies even from like offering sexual health services um, for sex right. workers. So it can be like anyone who's supporting sex work is like supporting trafficking. Um, that's kind of what this legislation is uh, assuming. Yeah, and this so. is not just like a one-off attempt at this sort of legislation. This legislation is hyper common. Um, and it is, like we mentioned, like everybody hates saf- sex trafficking. No politicians want to come out voting against legislation that purports to end sex trafficking. But, you know, even in California, for example, just I think it was three years ago, there was this bill that was proposed which would make, you know, giving condoms to sex workers uh, a crime, <laughs> and, and well, that makes sense. That's safe. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so criminal. So crazy. just kind of like yeah. So so just like the way because it was under the guise of like supporting sex trafficking, and so well, and like I mean, come on. What we know about these politicians is that if anyone supports sex trafficking, then it's the people maybe signing off on these bills. Cannot confirm or deny, but uh, I'm not disagreeing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you talked about, going back to the other stuff, you talked about how you were able to kind of separate your vanilla and your kinky life in academia. Um, what about in terms of like your social circles? Um, and friends, like, how do you decide who are, you know, safe folks? Do you mostly stay friends with sex workers? Like, how do you differentiate there? So, um, and I think that, that when I, I came out to my mentor to disastrous effect, um, was really a watershed moment in this on that. I, I kind of just assume that all of my friends and people that I'm close with and people I've been close with for a while, um, like my mentor, I'd known her for seven or eight years um yeah i just assume that like everyone is cool and not an asshole you know (laughs) like i i feel like i would have known before now if any of my friends who you know i would tell or i would come out to would have a problem with it um and really before this it never really i mean i didn't just you know go around telling literally everyone like i'm a dominatrix like no 
Um, but <laughs> if I were talking with someone I was close with, it wouldn't really even cross my mind that they would hear, oh, I that like I do sex work and think of it not as a job. Kind of. Does that make sense? What do you mean? Like you, hey, you about think it. about it not as a job? It never occurred to me that there would be some like moral baggage associated mm. with sex work if I were to come out to someone I was close with. So figured like I just assume my friends aren't assholes mm. <laughs> and only assholes think that about sex workers, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I don't really make it, uh, well, I didn't really make it a secret per se. Um, most, I, I wouldn't tell a colleague, uh, for instance, but like most of my friends in my personal life, I've either known them for long enough that they know I used to do sex work, so it's like a non-issue. Um, I actually, you know, honestly, I can't think of any fr- any academic friends um, or non-sex work friends I've made since I got back into doming mm. who weren't. Or who didn't know me back, you know, the last time I was drumming. Mm. Um, so it's never really been a divide for me. I know, of course, not to say anything at work or say anything in front of my students or say anything in front of, like, law enforcement. <laughs> um, but it wasn't really something I tried to hide in my personal life. I don't know how to ask this in, like, a, a non-obnoxious therapist way, but, like, when you did find out that there were assholes, like, I guess if you want to call her an asshole, <laughs> like your, you know, mentor. Um, how, how did that make you feel? Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> not good. <laughs> um, I mean, no, seven I- or eight years you were working together. And then because oh, we of this, they were just close. like dropped you. Like yeah. that's so upsetting. So as we mentioned, you wrote this article. I, um, I told my uh, mentor that I was a dominatrix and she rescinded my letters of recommendation which is pretty clear but um we will absolutely (laughs) include the link to the article because it's so beautifully written um but if you want to just give our listeners kind of yeah the 411 yeah so um so my mentor from graduate school she and i were very close um and i mean i've been graduated for a while but we've kept in contact we would you know like email pretty consistently um and we were talking back in august about we were actually we were talking about depression we were both like i'm depressed are you depressed i'm depressed mm-hmm. like that's what we were emailing about and um the conversation got a little tense at one point and i uh like you know one topic led to another i disclosed like okay so you know the reason i've been kind of cagey because I, I had been cagey with this person not because I was you know worried about stigma but just because like I didn't want my mentor to think about me sexually Mm. like in any context (laughs) Um, which does often happen in this whack-ass mentor-mentee relationship but that's a whole other conversation yeah (laughs) yeah so I I disclosed and she responded like I need to process this I'll get back to you tomorrow and I was like Oh, okay. Okay. And then she got back to me the next day. And I, um, I quoted the email, uh, that she sent me the next day, uh, quite a lot throughout the article, but she basically, um, she, (laughs) one line in it that blew me away. She said, well, money is always nice to have. But it doesn't strike me that this is about the money. Um, so she essentially, uh, just totally overlooked the fact that this was a financial necessity. For me, that I wasn't like, I wasn't 
going back to doming and risking my academic career just because like just because I wanted to regain agency over my body, which is what she seemed to think was my motive. Um, she, <laughs> yeah, she also um, seemed to believe that myth that sex work perpetuates sex trafficking when mm. I, I, I don't need to explain that one. Like, we know it doesn't. It doesn't. Um, right. But so here's she, that like hierarchy again of like what kinds of. I don't know what propels somebody to do sex work. And I think it's really the only profession where someone has to consistently explain why they're in it and why they love it so much where like no other job has to do or that. Or why they don't so, love like, it. Even right. if there's you, no space to be like, Oh yeah. no, sometimes I fucking hate my job. Well, that's uh, what I'm saying. Like you have to I mean, say like job. in order Who to be like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. In order to be considered as like not being trafficked, you have to be like, I love this. This is my life. It's amazing. It's empowering. But like, maybe you did get into it and starting in trafficking and now you're doing it consensually because the money is good. Like maybe you're doing it just for money. Maybe you're doing it because, um, yeah, you need some extra cash for grad school. Maybe you're doing it because it is empowering and you love your body. Like there's this hierarchy of like what reasons of doing it are okay. Right. Right. And, um, and she seemed to think, and lots of people seem to think that this was my first choice. I get a lot of like, well, why didn't she go bartend? Like, do you know how hard it is to get a bartending job? <laughs> like, oh, oh, you can't just like walk up to a bar and be like, hello, I would like one bartending job. Like, no, I, <laughs> that's not how the economy works. Anymore. Yeah. And like, like oh, I applied to the shitty cafe up the street. They didn't hire me. And also you'd be making minimum wage. Whereas this exactly. is like, Sure, it's body labor, but it's body labor that you know how to do, that you have experience in, and that, you know, pays really well. So it's it's even more, I mean, again, not to play into the legitimacy hierarchy, but it seems to make extreme sense, like financially, physically, like just evaluating your life, that this is what you would do based on like time, right. energy, and like financial reward. Cost-benefit analysis. Hey, slutty scholars, remember, the more that you buy our advertisers' products, the more we get to keep making this content and these episodes. Our sponsor, Dipsy, is offering a 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash S and S. That's a 30-day free trial when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash S-A-N-D-S. If you're like me or a lot of couples that I see in long-term relationships, the newness and spontaneity can fade over time. Then you have to start doing things like scheduling spontaneity. For example, if your partner is super into sex in the morning, but maybe that's not the natural time of desire for you, but you want to try to meet them there, one thing you can do is take a few minutes to listen to Dipsy. The guided sessions can also help you unlock new confidence or heighten intimacy with your partner. This year, try a new way of finding your desire with Dipsy. Again, for listeners of the show, Dipsy's offering a 30-day free trial when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash S-A-N-D-S. Dipsystories.com slash S-N-S. Now, back to the episode. Well, and another thing is that there's this myth within academia uh, that if you have a second job or if you... Yeah, if you work a non-academic job, it indicates that you're not serious about your scholarship. And I got that a lot in grad school. I worked I worked <laughs> retail in grad school, and I would kind of get a side eye from some faculty about it. Um, 
versus sex work it is like inherently anonymized um and kind of all, like that's not something that is going to jeopardize my academic career like strangely as much as saying like oh right i also work as a bartender be, but you know what's really fucked up about that is that there are certain second jobs that you are allowed to have, right? Like you're allowed to be an academic oh, it's, and it's be classism. a pundit. You're allowed to be an academic uh-huh. and write books for lay people, not academic books. You're allowed to be an academic and a motivational speaker. So so there are certain second jobs that are yeah. okay. It's classism. Yeah. It's classism. Could you elaborate a little more is. on that? Um, well, the assumption is that, or at least in graduate school, I know the assumption was you're getting this stipend or you're getting this fellowship and what you're supposed to be doing with it is research. Um, and the fellowship was like nowhere near enough money to survive if you had any amount of debt, um, or if you had any dependents or any emergencies whatsoever, without outside help. And, you know, I'm not really in contact with my family. They didn't support me through school. So I mm-hmm. had, um, you know, like I had debt. I had, th- it wasn't enough money. To, um, so the reason I think it comes down to classism is um, because it, it really limits the people who are able to stay within academia and able to succeed in academia to those who are independently wealthy. Mm. And then you have a paucity or of voices, those, which is like, like the history yeah. of academia, but also you, something that like, we're trying to fight against as like intersectional feminists, right, which right. some people allegedly are <laughs> in academia. <laughs> right. Um, and, you know, of course, it may have been livable if I didn't uh, have like medical expenses, if I didn't have to pay car insurance, if I didn't, if my parents paid for my cell phone, but like, that's not the world we live mm-hmm. in. People assume, I, I mean, it's it's odd that people seem to assume that we take shitty jobs because we want to work shitty jobs. Like, no, I want to do my research, mm-hmm. <laughs> but like, I do not have the resources available to me to do that. Um, when you had this experience with your mentor, how did you respond? Oh my God. Okay. So I was like, all right. Or, uh, like, I'm a Capricorn. I'm like, we're going to strategize our way out of this. Like, come on, Snow. Come on, do Snow. It. Okay. Uh, so at first, I tried explaining to her, like, my budget. I was like, look, this is when I get my paycheck. This is when rent is due. Like, this is all this other shit. Where else was the money going to come from? That didn't work. So I was like, all right, all right. Um, I'll explain, you know, timing. So I was like, okay, I had this much time to make this amount of money. Um, and if I were to start working, you know, I used to work at a temp agency, but if I were to go there, there would be this many weeks of processing. It would take this long for me to get a placement. And then it would take this long for the money to end up in my bank account. Therefore, my only option was sex work. That didn't work. So <laughs> I kind of kept like When it was like that didn't and work, then she finally, was like... I don't give a fuck. Or she was like, that doesn't legitimize it or just she didn't respond. She wasn't really willing to listen to me anymore. Is it still via email or is it a phone call? (laughs) Is that an okay question? Because I feel like that makes a difference. Oh yeah. No, it's just, no, it's fine. It's just a loaded question. Cause I was, I immediately, I was like, yo, let's talk on the phone about this because you've got feelings. I got feelings. Oh, I'm always like, let's have a conversation. Yeah, yeah, same. Um, I like to confront these things head on so that they don't end up in the enormous clusterfuck in which I now and she <laughs> would both find ourselves. Um, and she was like, she she pretty much just ignored the request. And, you know, she had the power wow. in this relationship. So I deferred to that. Um, 
And finally, she said, like, you know what? This conversation's over. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and I tried, I tried to talk about, like, different topics. So I brought up, like, a class I was writing a syllabus for and asked for her input. Um, and she, her response, it was really this response that uh, showed me that, like, something had broken. Where I asked her about an assignment that I was giving um, and I knew she had assigned a similar assignment and the response she sent back was like very cold, very terse. She was like, it'll be fine. Whatever you do, it doesn't matter. Here's my prompt. Bye. Mm. Essentially. Versus our our emails before would be like pretty effusive, um, you know, like not quite so terse like that. Um, so I thought like, okay, she needs some time to cool off. Let's back away. But this was mid-August, right? So the academic job market um, really works in cycles similar to the academic job year where jobs are posted in September. You apply in, you know, October. This is vague, but, um, but uh, yeah, pretty much how it goes. You apply in October. You find out in November, December if you got an interview or if you need to send additional materials, um, then, you know, you would know where you are maybe working by April. Um, so this was in late August, and you need three letters of recommendation to apply to most tenure track jobs. Um, and I had three letters of recommendation. I actually had like I had four letters of recommendation, but uh, that's an, another story for another day. <laughs> um, and I wrote to say like, "Hey, I'm applying for jobs again. Um, would you mind revising my letter of recommendation?" Um, and that really doesn't entail much beyond going into the file and changing 2018 to 2019 like you just mm -hmm. change the date that's it yeah i mean it's usually all. letters of recommendation like the person requesting it writes the letter and then the other person just like really? signs off on it pretty much yeah, yeah. in some cases yeah. yeah it depends on the field i think too but um at any rate i i mean i still i had her letters from 2018 i have like through interfolio interfolio is this dossier service that academics use to apply for academic jobs and it'll uh like you can put all your your writing samples and your cv and your cover letters and, and your letters of recommendation and then use that service to forward them to uh whatever applications or whatever departments are hiring um, so I still had her old letters. I had some from 2016, 2017, 2018 on Interfolio. Um, but, you know, I was asking her to revise, revise one for 2019. And she said, no, I can't. Um, there's too much we'd have to talk about. And I have neither the energy nor will to do it. <laughs> Direct wow. quote. Um, wow. Yeah. And oh my God. And I got this email right as I was walking into a ball busting session. It's like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. Like, really? <laughs> like, I Did you go... like bust those balls really hard as a result? Oh, I did with a baseball bat. Like, <laughs> oh my God, I love it. I'm like, terrified, but I love it. Like, what a fucking skill to have. This is not the first like, time. Like, what a fucking skill. That's what I'm saying. Like, this she... requires, your work requires so much skill. <laughs> Right. And this happened like three Sundays in a row. It would be like Sunday at 8.30 p.m. And I'd get another email and it would be some other soul-crushing news. And then I'd hear like, hey, Snow, you gotta go like kick some dude in the nuts. Great. Okay. Perfect. Your clients must have been so appreciative uh, for the extra enthusiasm. <laughs> so this was September 1st that she told me she wasn't going to revise it. And I was like, okay, I, under I understand. I mean, I didn't understand, but I said I understood. Um, and then I said, like, you know what? 
Like at this point, fuck the letters. I don't care about the letters. Uh, like you're a really important person in my life and I would like to keep you in my life. Um, like the last month has been really difficult. Um, because of this communication breakdown, um, like it's been had a disastrous effect on my mental health. Um, so, you know, whatever, fuck the letters, ignore the letters. Let's just try to like repair this. And she seemed amenable at first. And then, um, about a week later, I was like, I, I was, I st still kind of thinking about the letters. I'm like, okay, I need to apply for jobs. Like I can't apply for jobs if this fucking woman doesn't put her letter back on Interpol, or at least doesn't revise it rather. Cause I didn't realize she had withdrawn or she hadn't withdrawn them. So I write her again about a week later and I'm like, hey, you know, this is weighing really heavily on me. It's having a highly adverse effect on my well-being. Um, I'd really appreciate it if we could have a phone call sooner rather than later. And her response was essentially like, go fuck yourself. <laughs> like, that's not what she said, but she might as well have. Um, so I, I, you know, left it alone. I was like, okay, I'll go fuck myself. Bye. I'm sorry. I love you. <laughs> like, left it alone for a bit. Then about two weeks after that, I signed into Interfolio. And, you know, like, honestly, what I was doing is I was thinking, like, I want to see what that bitch wrote in her letter. Like, I want to see what's in the old one. I want to see it. And I was going to send it to one of my friends. <laughs> like, you, I mean, they're confidential letters, but I was going to send it to my oh, friends so she could tell me what Brilliant, it brilliant um, maneuver. And, yeah. Yeah. So this was in between two of the classes I was teaching. So it was at, like, 10 a.m. maybe. Um, and I go to Letters of Rec. And I see hers aren't there. And I'm like, wait, what, what, what the fuck? Like, she didn't tell me she was going to withdraw her old letter. She just said she wasn't going to revise it into a new letter. So I, I'm, I, like, I could still remember, like, exactly, like, where the sun was and, like, what the air felt like coming through the window. Because <laughs> I was like, where the fuck is her letter? Like, it wasn't there. And I realized, like, oh, my God, she withdrew it. It's not a glitch. She withdrew it. The bitch withdrew her letters. Oh, my God. Oh my god. <laughs> wow. I have to go teach my other class now. <laughs> um so yeah, at that point I told her I was taking her name off of my CV. Um and I mean in the time since then, I haven't heard from her in over 2 months at all. Um I mean, I've written to her, she has not responded. Mm -hmm. Um but, you know, I said I was taking my name off uh her name off my CV. Uh she was like, "Okay, I'm finally ready for that phone call." <laughs> After that, um, we had a screaming match in the beginning of October, um, and then it just kind of dissolved from there. And I, I mean, but there, that's where the power—that's <laughs> where the power differential is, right? Like, you, you, what are you supposed to say? Like, it seemed like she was your friend, but she's not your friend, right? Well, and if this were anyone else, I would have been like. Get it the fuck together. What the fuck is wrong with you? Like I would, like um, I wouldn't have been so like deferent and like oh, okay, I see why you understand why you think that, but um, I wouldn't have tried to justify myself. But because of who she is and the power that she still holds over me, um, hmm. well, I mean, not anymore. <laughs> but it did <laughs> um, I kind of twisted myself into all these knots to appease her to no avail. How did you deal with the emotional backlash of this oh for yourself in oh, academia? It was, it was awful. I, <laughs> I mean, did you like, think I've, of leaving the field? No. Well, that's another thing. Um, Cause you know, there's nowhere to go. Where am I going to go? Right. Like I need money. Uh, adjuncting sucks and the money's shit, but 
shitty money is better than no money. It's not like there are other jobs, you know, lined up to hire humanities PhDs. And I've applied to other jobs. I've applied to hundreds of non-academic jobs. Um, and I I had the only one that hired me was a fucking dungeon. So <laughs> I didn't think of leaving because I didn't really have a choice like where the hell am I going to go like where what am I going to do in the time between leaving academia and finding a new job how am I going to pay rent I can't move I can't like what there's nothing to do um so I mostly I mean like like many academics um I've always you know struggled with mental health issues like depression anxiety and PTSD um and I mean i I first started having symptoms of depression when I was maybe like seven years old. Um, and I'm consi- I'm old enough to, to have a PhD at this point. <laughs> um, and my like the depression that stemmed from just my really a pillar of my support system just crumbling out of nowhere was the worst I've ever had like in my life. Um, so that writing about it was really the only way I could get through it without mm. losing my fucking mind, which I like almost did anyway. Um, and like, yeah, and you're also were- limited in what you could do. Like, I know she wasn't maybe officially your advisor, but it's not like you could go to like any kind of board or whatever because then you'd have to out yourself to a whole nother exactly. community of people who so wouldn't be supportive. I- when I spoke to her on the phone, she said, "Like, well, if, if you think your advisor and your co-chair would think, because she was on my dissertation, if you think that they would react any differently, then." You- you're sadly mistaken so i was that's like very threatening right so i'm like well there's a mm. hypothesis i'm not gonna test <laughs> like i'm not gonna try that um and i mean my friends were irritated because this was a very obvious act of betrayal and they were like yo fuck this bitch why do you still why do you still care why do you still want her support back um but i like i'm not really in contact with my family this mentor was really the most maternal mm. figure like in my life period oh, which I'm yeah i'm so sorry <laughs> thanks <laughs> um but like most people yeah like can kind of or most people can't really totally relate to that i know very few people who can um relate to that particular um i don't know the the relationship i have with my mother my own mother i, I don't know anyone who can relate to that but she she's bananas um so uh i think my friends were getting really frustrated because they couldn't understand why i wasn't just moving on and i'm like no this isn't just a professional betrayal this is a personal betrayal and she knew it the violence of it all no just the violence of it all (laughs) right well in order in order to i think it's important that this is like so mood impacting and maybe to like have a breather from it i would love to just hear like a few minutes about ball busting <laughs> like just before we move on just before we move on i know we're talking about really important like deep stuff but i just I can't fucking stop love thinking you, about it thank you for speaking so, your mind um, <laughs> yeah i would love to hear like what uh, what that session looks like just while i'm like emotionally recovering <laughs> okay well uh <laughs> So ball busting is actually, it was the first, the only session in which I've almost vomited just from sheer disgust, um, other than dudes who clearly don't bathe, but that's like a different issue. Um, so basically, there, I feel like there are two types of ball busting. There's like dudes who like pain, and then there are dudes who want to be castrated. And the dudes who want to be castrated, um, I mean, they come in and they say like, I want to be, like, I, I want you to to 
actually destroy my balls. Wait, like with medical? Um, I remember the first time I had a consequence to that. I was, yeah, yeah. They're like, I want to have to get an ambulance when I leave here. And I remember the first time a client said that to me, I was like, you know what? I'll be right back. And I went to my manager and I was like, yo. I would um, like to read that release form. Yeah. I was like, this motherfucker wants me to like permanently damage his balls. And she was like, (gasps) he signed a waiver. (laughs) Go at him. So I was like, okay, (laughs) don't mind if I do. Um, And those are really, um, those are the more physically difficult sessions, but they're also the most um, like physically just. Like, I, I actually thought I was about to pop his balls and, like, almost threw up what on his What were you doing to I them? What were, were you doing? <laughs> like, and obviously, <gasps> Mr. T- Snow well, has like, significant skills, so do not try these at home. <laughs> oh, yeah, do not try this at home under any circumstances. Unless you sign a waiver. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, I would kick them with a steel-toed boot. I'll punch them with a bunch of, like, sharp rings on <laughs> I'll hit them with a golf club. Um, I'll try to squeeze them as hard as I can. It was the squeezing them as hard as I could that I almost barfed. Um, this one's I mean, the first time I sucked a dick um, that had shaved and, I mean, balls, I felt is, the same is, way. And I like, wasn't even like doing anything. I was like, oh, these are so fragile without air. Right? <laughs> You're like, what is this? What am I doing? <laughs> yeah. um, it's It's kind of remarkable how how much pussy like how big of pussies men are and i i know like i i got yelled at by some like internet stripper for saying the word pussy the other week but whatever um, <laughs> I, I, well how, i guess like, pussies are definitely stronger like it's like they're you know well so. yeah oh my God. yeah but like yeah come on uh but they, they <laughs> bitch so much about their balls hurting but like they can really take a beating <laughs> Like, you can fuck them up good and not actually do any real lasting damage. That's so funny. Um, They're quite resilient. But, like, if I did the same thing to, like, a femur, then it would probably (laughs) result in a fracture. Yeah, these are so strong. It's very strange. I'm not that kind of doctor. I don't understand. (laughs) But... Um, I mean, yeah, those that sessions are really so fun. Oh my god, really? I can't imagine. Person. I can't imagine. It's, it's I played a game of like sex dice recently, and like I got all the good shit. And then I was playing with uh, a, like a male identifying male bodied person, and he just kept doing shitty things. Like I had to spank his earlobes, but then I had it said pinch and testicles, <laughs> and we like had a whole conversation about it. And he was like, "You want to re-roll?" And I was like, "Uh uh-uh. uh," and we like. But it was, like, so nerve-wracking. And it was just, like, a slight <laughs> index-to-thumb squeeze. Ah! I'm, like, clenching up. My oh, whole yeah, no, there's some things right that, like... Really? You've no, never there... had that desire where you just want to, like, bite something really hard? Oh, I, I, I've certainly had that desire. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know what it's called, but sometimes I just get in, like, a biting mood where I just want to, like, bite something really hard. And so I'm, like, that sounds like a... I don't know if I would bite their balls, but, like... I'm like just imagining like yeah, just like squeezing till you can't squeeze anymore. That's not like to someone who's down. I guess this is why I'm fun. obviously a super. Well, bottom. and then there was another session where I was <laughs> another session where I was trying. I was squeezing them as hard as I could, and um, the client came, and he wasn't supposed to. He's supposed to act, ask for permission, but I thought that the jizz <gasps> was like his balls and i was like oh no oh no like they're leaking like ah oh my god but so do 
Like you had literally so do, just like do broken you break them? them. Like, are they actually castrated? Is this permanent damage, or is that just the fantasy? Dude, I I don't know how this client. There, there's one client in particular. I don't know how he's he hasn't had to like have a because if you do yet, actually castrate but, them, then it's just a one time like, client, and you whatever, obviously if, want them to retire. Exactly right. So that's why I think it's generally a fantasy, but also um, like when I've talked to other clients, they it's difficult to find a mistress or apparently difficult to find a mistress. I wouldn't know. Um, who's actually willing to really fuck up your balls like that. <laughs> um, cause most, you know, they either think that you're, cause there are a lot of clients who'll be like, yeah, I'm great with pain. And like, no, they're not. Um, but I mean, there are some, some mistresses who are, who are, and I understandably so like ethics, <laughs> um, concerned about actually, you know, uh, yeah, these dudes. But um, oh I kind of don't give I a shit. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, I mean, there aren't a lot of you know birth control methods out there for people with penises. So you know, if you're right? looking for some creative ways to uh, mm-hmm. come to Doctor eliminate Snow. the ability to <laughs> yeah, come to Doctor oh Snow. Gosh. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I know we all have to run, but in the last few minutes we have, um, I so so basically in sum, you wrote this article exposing your mentor, obviously not by name, but exposing the dynamic whereby she rescinded and like all of this. And then you did an incredible like class analysis and all that jazz. And it's super incredible. Um, but, well, but so like <laughs> what have the consequences of that been? So obviously your mentor hasn't reached out to you because you haven't spoken for, to her in two months. But like, <laughs> like what's happened? <laughs> no. Well, so I mean, <clears throat> when I wrote the article, I very intentionally made Anne as nondescript <laughs> as possible. I mean, come on, the name Anne, like, Becky. is there a more <laughs> nondescript name than that? Um, and I didn't include many personal details about myself because I wanted readers to oh project God. their own mentors onto Anne, Good job. And project themselves onto me, regardless of where they stand in the academy. Well, oh, thank you. Um, which I think I did pretty well. Um, so I found out that the article was supposed to run in the beginning of November. So I let her know. I was like, look, heads up. You know, I wouldn't want you to be taken by surprise. <laughs> Only a dick would do that. That uh, this article is coming out. <laughs> um, and I didn't realize it at the time, but she had then gone to my uh former chairperson and was like, hey, I want to let you know that this is coming out and didn't tell me that she had then outed me to him. Um, wow. when the art- yeah, I had no idea. So the article came out beginning of, de- of December and it was December 5th. I remember I was I was standing in front of one of my classes teaching when my editor was like, All right, like everything fine. happens when you're in <laughs> class or about to ball. It's like, balls. oh my God, okay. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. No, that those are two constants in my life. Um, and the the feedback was pretty immediate. Um, I had a I had a Dom Twitter I'd kind of been using. Um, it went from something like twenty followers to like six hundred that night, and then people started writing me, offering to write me letters of recommendation to replace hands. They're like, "Fuck that! I'll, I will lie and say I worked with you at some point and write you a letter of rec. Like, just send me your CV." Um, immediately i got you know throughout the whole thing i'd say i've had less than five trolls less than 10 i've had maybe less than 10 people really give me um like 
bullshit about the article or, mm. or respond to it publicly negatively. Uh, Reddit it's hated insults. it, but like, it's, it's, of course they did. It's Reddit. Um, <laughs> I mean, the biggest troll was your mentor. <laughs> right. And I didn't, I tried to explain to her, I'm like, this isn't a hit piece. I'm not trying to like expose you. I'm trying to expose a systemic problem that Anne represents. And I don't think that message got through to yeah. her. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, she doesn't really sound like someone who's super open to dialogue, so I can imagine her no. defensiveness. No, she, uh, yeah, that that's accurate. Um, so um, I found out in late December that she had told my uh, chairperson, so, you know, I started getting in contact with him just to clear the air, uh, make everything clear. Um, and actually, this has, um, this is like an ongoing issue because, you know, I haven't been in contact with her. And um, I don't know who she's outed me to at this point, um, but I think that network of people is growing, oh. and there's not really thing, really anything I can do about it without communication that she's not willing to have. So we'll see where that goes. Hopefully, nowhere. <laughs> but um, that's kind of where it stands now that I haven't heard from her in over two months, um, which is the longest I've gone without interacting with this person since I met oh. her. Um, but so you know, painful. is what it is. <sighs> yeah. Well, I know you've talked it about this ad nauseum, and <laughs> we don't want to keep you any longer, especially because we know you have an appointment to run to. Oh yeah, no, I do have therapy to go to, but I don't. It is not because you know I've I kind of stopped talking to my friends about this because they were so irritated. Like, yo, Snow, please stop telling me about this boomer who obviously wouldn't like sex work because she's a fucking boomer and who isn't your actual mom like shut the fuck up <laughs> so being able to actually talk to people who are receptive and want to hear about it um, well we is, are that too so <laughs> no but but seriously thank you so much not only for joining us on the podcast but for really starting a conversation that is super important both in terms of like the sluts and scholars dichotomy but even more like the systemic issues between like problems with like mentor mentee and this kind of informal creation like it's not okay to like fuck other people for money but it's okay to fuck your mentor which is like a whole other <laughs> can of worms and oh so, my God. I, yeah, absolutely. The, another episode. <laughs> Whenever. Um, so I'm sure our listeners want to all of uh, the fuckings. find out about all the rad Ooh. stuff you're doing on the internet. So shout out where they can find you. So I have limited my uh, sex work web presence to Twitter. I'm uh, Mistress Snow PhD or at Mistress PhD. Um, and I don't really, I don't include any of my own like personal academic work. However, um, I do focus on class and labor issues um, and without sex work in my academic career. Um, so they, they do tend to interlap in amazing ways. I also oh like, my gosh, people, we have, so you would see a lot of that. <laughs> um, or another, I don't know. I, the ball busting scares me again. Obviously, I guess also reach out to Mistress Snow if you're interested in ball busting. <laughs> oh, yes, I do. hope you enjoy your, your therapy. I'm not sure if it's talk therapy or ball busting, but I hope you Today's have a good session. Today's talk therapy, but thank you. Uh, 
both <laughs> equally helpful. Um, if you want to follow uh, what Sluts and Scholars are doing, you can find us on Instagram at Sluts and Scholars, on Twitter at Sluts Scholars, uh, and feel free to email us with your questions at Sluts and Scholars at Gmail. And if you are listening for the first time and you enjoyed, please rate and Even review. Even if it's not the first it really time. It is so helpful. <laughs> and if you feel like you want to Oh, yeah, even if it's not the first time, you still should rate and review. Um, and if you want to give us your money, join us on patreon.com slash slots and scholars. Thank you.